A warning, this episode deals with a traumatic event that may be triggering for some listeners. When you meet Stephanie Lindsay, one of the first things you notice is that she's almost completely covered in tattoos. And there's a lot of them. (laughs) (laughs) Is there one you want right now? Well, there's this space I have left, and there's not many, so it's kind of like a filling-in game. Um, but I'm gonna—I want to get like a pretty mandala on my right knee um, because the left knee's taken already. And... One of her first big tattoos is a lotus on her chest. She got it because of its symbolism. Its roots are in the muck, but it sits on top of the water. So lovely, so colorful, so beautiful. So that's rich symbolism right there. We get our beauty from like the ickiness that came before, from rising up out of it, you know? And so it, it nourishes us. Like that root is still in the muck. It nourishes us and continues to fuel us in our endeavors. It's a reminder that light and beauty can grow from dark, ugly places. This is Two Lives. Stories of people who face darkness and how those moments transform them. I'm Laurel Morales. Stephanie grew up in Phoenix, surrounded by addiction. Drug addiction, alcohol addiction, food addiction. Both parents were struggling. So she and her twin sister were raised by their grandparents until they were six. My twin and I relied on each other and were forced to just um, grow up quicker. But I think in many ways, you know, there's a a lot of immaturity there because of addictions and um, inherited (laughs) issues. For Stephanie, her addictions started with food. Her grandmother liked to give them treats. Hostess cupcakes and gallons of ice cream and soda pop. And um, that was like her way to show love. When Stephanie was in the eighth grade, she started drinking. A friend whose mom was a counselor told her about Alateen, a 12-step program for teenagers. But when she and her twin sister checked it out, both decided they weren't ready to be so open about their problems. I was pretty turned off by it because... From my limited perspective, it made me feel like I was a problem. It was magnifying and putting a spotlight on issues that made me feel uncomfortable. I wish I had gone back. Stephanie says if she would have stuck with a 12-step program, she probably would have bypassed a lot of suffering. Growing up, Stephanie was withdrawn and quiet. To the point that it would make people angry that I would speak so quietly that they couldn't hear me. I remember being in student council when I was in high school and like the older girls would just like sort of shun me because I would be like, beep, 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 beep. <laughs> like so nervous that I was just so timid and shy and like insecure. During high school, Stephanie lived with her mom, who by this time had split with her dad. My mom had been in some very um, unhealthy relationships and, and the boyfriend that she was with was physically abusive and bless her sweetheart, but she would come and tell me about what he did to her and be crying and distraught. And I would cry and hold her and hate him and, and then witness her allowing him to come into our home after that. There was nothing I could do to protect her. And anytime I would see proof of him in our house, I would throw it out into the front yard. 
It was one of the last days of summer before her senior year, a hot August night in Phoenix. Stephanie was 17. She put on her favorite top and jeans to hang out with a friend who drove over to pick her up. Stephanie rode shotgun. I remember that night, and um, my mom at the time was not in the best shape, we'll say. But I do remember her poking her little head in the car and saying, make sure she's wearing her seatbelt. <laughs> so Stephanie buckled up and put her feet up on the dashboard. And that's one of the last things she remembers. She was told later her friend turned left in front of a moving van. It T-boned the passenger side of the car, the side where Stephanie was sitting. When the firefighters arrived at the accident, they had to cut her out of her clothes. I broke my tibia, punctured my lung, had a big hit on my right temporal area, so it was like 10 stitches in my head, had a concussion. There's like still glass in my face today from the car accident. Oh, I had a broken pelvis in three places. Her half-sister, Jessica Mastericos, remembers the night vividly. I was young, but I remember, like, it was yesterday. I remember that it was, like, the middle of the night when we got the phone call that she'd been hit by a car or, like, got in a car accident. I remember how worried I was as a kid. Stephanie was in a coma for three days. The nurses told her she set the record for the number of visitors to the emergency department. Just a flood of family and friends. But Stephanie doesn't remember. On the third day, she woke up. She recalls the moment and laughs. I remember seeing the little red light on my pointer finger because they had like to measure your heartbeat or your oxygen saturation or something. I think I was all doped up on morphine or something, but I I remember making jokes. Like I was, I was like, ouch. (laughs) And my twin sister was right there and she was like, oh my God, she's hurting. And um, then she realized I was making an ET joke. And she's just like, oh my God. Like... (laughs) Her sister explained she had been in an accident. Stephanie had a lot of questions. Where's Sushi, which was my cat that had died the night before my car accident? And then (laughs) my mom and sister's eyes like welled up with tears. And were like, Sushi's fine. No, she's fine. And then I realized and I was like, no, she's not. She's dead. Don't lie. And they were just like, oh, my God. (laughs) And then I said, did I miss the Tori Amos concert? And they were like, no, no. And I was like, did I miss my high school graduation? And they were like, no, no. (laughs) She stayed in the hospital for a week. When she was finally allowed to go home, she remembers in the van ride, she could feel the bones in her pelvis clicking. Then she was confined to a wheelchair for three months. Yeah, that was a game changer. (laughs) Um. (sighs) Stephanie didn't like the way the pain meds made her feel, the fuzziness. It was the recreational drugs that were hard to avoid. So I was having these sort of seizures, um, and they were afraid that I had epilepsy. So the doctor urged me to make sure I don't do anything within the next six months or whatever it was. And so I had a girlfriend I told that to, and so she was so great. And so she wanted to stay strong with me and not do any drugs or anything. And so we would like hang out and watch movies at my house and like not do drugs. And so She had only one month of physical therapy. That was all their insurance would cover. After that month, she made up her mind to try to reclaim her body. She tried running, biking, 
She even tried to climb a mountain, what's now called Paestoa Peak. So yeah, I ended up falling, <laughs> climbing down the mountain right on my bottom. They told me things like, you'll never be able to run like other people. You'll never be able to ride your bike like other people. So I can't, you know, I'll tell you that I was in my walking cast and my mom had this crummy old bike in the garage and I like pulled this bike out and I'm in a walking cast and I'm like trying to ride this bike and I could feel my pelvis like clicking. Meanwhile, things at home weren't getting any better. Her parents were still using. So shortly before her 18th birthday, Stephanie went through the legal process of emancipating herself from them. She packed up her things and moved out to Flagstaff, where she was planning to go to college in the fall. So it was close enough uh, to my twin sister, um, but far enough away from my family. And that was my main goal, (laughs) was to get far from my family. And um, when I moved to Flagstaff, it was just, um, for me, it was like getting away um, from that quote-unquote crazy. But um, it was just my opportunity to be free and get out. Now 18 and free of her family's choices, she was able to make some decisions of her own. One of the first, a tattoo on the back of her neck of three interconnected spirals to mark this new chapter in her life. I had been thinking about it and designing it for a while and drawing it in my notebook. And I was always thinking how we're always on an upward spiral or a downward spiral, but we're always on the spiral and things are always circling around. So that was my very first one. And I hated it. I was like, this is the stupidest thing ever. Like it was like, <laughs> like a knife in the back of my neck. And I was like, this is horrible. I am never going to do this again. Stephanie was walking across campus every day to get to class and still dealing with pain from her accident. But she was doing her physical therapy exercises religiously every morning. My roommate would be sitting, leaning back on her bed, eating her cereal, and like watching me do my stretches and stuff in the morning. And she'd go, that's a yoga pose. Oh, that's a yoga pose. Oh, look, if you put your arm there, that's a yoga pose. And I was like, really? So Stephanie signed up for her first yoga class. At first, she hated it. She remembers being in Warrior One and the teacher hounding her to straighten her leg. In my head, I'm like, whatever, it's totally straight, okay? Like, like my arms are all bent. And I, like, look back at my leg, and it's bent. And I felt, like, kind of, like, betrayed. Like, what? My leg, like, I thought it was straight, and it wasn't straight. You're not aware of your own body, and you're not in charge of your own body. And that, that was a powerful moment. Stephanie says some days she'd show up, roll out her mat, and start crying and have to leave the room. And it was a combination of the pain I had in my body, but also, like, the embarrassment of, like, how hard it was. I couldn't feel sections of my body. Like, I couldn't feel my hips. I couldn't feel my legs, like, the way I thought I should. Yoga helped Stephanie integrate her body, mind, and emotions. She says she felt like Humpty Dumpty. On that physical level, it put me back together. And then on the mental level, like, it just, it filled me up in ways I didn't, I just didn't know you could. And it just excited me. I was in so much pain from the car accident, from the pelvic um, injury and leg injury. It was just so much pain. And I remember every night like laying there massaging my back. Um, And I just thought that that was always gonna have to be that way. And like today, I don't have it. Stephanie was all in. She practiced for three hours almost every day. 
I was taking yoga classes with Stephanie at this time, and I remember a few months going by when I hadn't seen her. And then when I did, she was transformed. She started wearing tops that showed off her defined abs and carved biceps. Her accident had piqued her interest in the body, so she took biology, anatomy, and physiology courses. After she graduated from college with a degree in community health promotion, she signed up for massage school and yoga teacher training. She eventually got a job teaching yoga. It seemed like, after so much pain, her life was on track. She was on a path, and everything pointed upward. As she became inspired by the yoga symbols of Nataraja and Hanuman, she went back for more tattoos. Rather than like go towards drugs and alcohol and sex and gambling, shopping, whatever, we can channel that passion towards yoga. Like you can channel it towards decorating your body with beautiful tattoos. Her sister Jess says yoga has been critical for Stephanie. I actually had a weird flash of the alternative. If Stephanie had never found yoga, she would have been dealing with chronic pain and she would have two parents with a history of addiction and she may have succumbed to pain management in the form of substances and who knows where she would be right now. Like quite simply, I think that the mindfulness and the physical healing on her body probably saved her life. It also helped her find her voice. Yoga made me speak up and sort of like stand in a place and be seen and be okay with being seen and being heard. It's like all of a sudden my insecurity took a back seat because I'm here to show you and teach you. Um, and so that was something that I really loved about yoga is like all of a sudden I wasn't insecure because I'm here to help you. Walk your hands out in front, diagonally to the right. Pick up your back knee, press your back heel down. Walk hands diagonally to the right, down dog lunge. Just like down dog, please push your hands away from your hips. Hips away from your hands. Stephanie moved to Tucson to teach yoga at a large studio there. Her classes soon became the most sought after in town. Her boss asked her one day, how does it feel to be the most popular yoga teacher in Tucson? And I was like, what? What are you talking about? Because really, truly, I just had my head down and I was working. At that point, I was teaching a minimum of 13 to 14 classes every week. It was around this time that Stephanie quit drinking and was going to a lot of 12-step meetings, like every meeting she could find. That's where she met Derek. He was tatted up, muscular, and he had a criminal history. But he was in a program working the steps. She showed up to one meeting at a halfway house. Derek was staying there at the time. He later told me that he went to that meeting because he saw me go into that meeting. And he's like, oh, I'm staying for this meeting. He just kept like running his mouth. And I was like, this guy with the loud mouth. Like he's just like, blah, 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 blah. Like, and then I realized like he was talking to me. And then after the meeting, he just wouldn't leave me alone. He was just like, you like burpees? He's like, do you like burpees? And I was like, yeah, sure. He's like, you want to go do burpees? Like, then I gave him my card because he said he wanted a massage or whatever, but I know he just wanted my number. So I gave it to him like, whatever. And then he was like, said something like, take me out or something. 
And I just rolled my eyes at him and I said, yeah, yeah. And then he was like, come on, I get my shit together quick. And I was like, oh, yeah, but can you keep it together? Stephanie was moving, so told Derek, if you want to hang out, you can help me move. And she thought, he's in a program. That means he's like me. He wants to get better. That didn't last. And he was very um, controlling right from the day one. And so he, like, literally looked through my phone, you know, took charge of, like, my phone right from day one. All this work that she'd done to find her voice went out the window. It was like, what is even happening right now? And it was like, I just handed over my life to this man in a day. (laughs) Which she didn't realize when she met Derek, she was pregnant. The doctors had told her after the accident it wasn't possible. I feel like a Jerry Springer show a little bit. I had hooked up with my ex as like a quick fling, and I was like, oopsies. When she told Derek, she kind of hoped it would scare him away. And I was like, we have a 50-50 chance here. Like, I'm pregnant, (laughs) and it's either yours or it's my ex's. This is your opportunity to go and never look back. But he stayed, and he told her they'd name the baby after him. Stephanie's sister Jess felt protective of her sister and didn't trust a man with a rap sheet. When you're not exposed to people like that a lot, I think that there's like a caricature in your head from, you know, film and TV of bad guys being, uh, you know, mean, cruel and, and gruff. He was a friendly, bad person. And I was like, wow, you could tell that he's a bad person, but that he's also just a nice guy, right? Like, it's creepy. It's real creepy. But she'd only spent a short amount of time with him because she was visiting from Pennsylvania. So what am I supposed to do at that point? It's kind of just like, okay, well, hopefully this relationship doesn't last because it's scary. Like, he's kind of scary. Before she had the baby, Stephanie did try to leave Derek, but he'd always talk her out of it. I felt, I felt stuck. It's been so difficult because dealing with my own addictions, like I have so much compassion for him. But that also set the stage for me staying with him too long and like believing he could get better. Growing up, seeing the way her mom was treated by men, Stephanie says children often do what our parents show us, not what they tell us. So a part of her stayed because she thought her fate was inevitable. I just wasn't, I wasn't strong enough to push him off. And I'm not saying that's a physical strength that I'm talking about. It's more of a, an emotional and mental strength and a feeling of my own self-worth that I felt like the way he treated me was like maybe what I deserved. When the baby was born, Derek insisted his name be on the birth certificate. She had a traumatic birth because her pelvis never healed properly. So it took time to recover. Derek was able to help with baby Charlotte but he was using again. Charlotte was almost a year old when Stephanie told Derek she was leaving. It was Christmas night, and Derek was high, some combination of heroin, fentanyl, and crystal meth. When Stephanie told him she was done, he attacked her. He beat me up and choked me to the point of peeing all over myself um, and blacking out um, while holding my baby in the other arm. It was horrible. So, um, it was horrible. You were holding your baby. He was holding my baby in the other arm. So, 
it was um, the most horrific, horrible thing because I wasn't strong enough. I wasn't strong enough to push him off, you know. So, like, even you know, with as much passion and strength that I had, like, I just wasn't strong enough. And it's so humbling to face, like, wow, this is it, you know. And I really thought I was gonna die. It ended with um, police being called and everything, and um, the neighbors called the police because they heard the screaming, and I knew that the police were coming. I just remember saying in my head, like, I think I was laying on the floor at the time, and I was like, oh my God, this is God doing for me what I couldn't do for myself, because I had tried to get away from him a couple different times. I had tried to get away, and I, I couldn't, he wouldn't let me. The police told Stephanie to go to the forensics lab, where they took pictures of her injuries and asked her to explain what happened in detail. Her sister came with the baby. By the time they were done, it was three in the morning. Stephanie said she was too tired to go to the hospital, even though she had difficulty swallowing. So her sister brought them back to the house. She slept in my bed with me and... We were so scared that he was going to come back. So we put this giant table, like we scooched it up against the door. Even if he did get the door open, we would definitely hear it. (laughs) And come to find out, like, he was going to be let out. So he was going to be let out that very next morning. I guess they call it a page two, where, like, you're going to be released. Everything's cool, except for, oh, you got a page two. And that means that... You have other charges, like he was on parole because he still had other charges. He had to go back and spend more time there. So thank goodness that that was the case because it bought me more time. The next day, she got a restraining order against Derek. I just felt this relief, like it's over now. And so what I think is important like about this podcast and like the idea of two lives is that It's never too late to begin again. Stephanie says she thinks about that as she deals with post-traumatic stress. The last two years have been really hard, with lots of flashbacks to the attack. All I could do was see his face and hear his voice and keep replaying that incident over and over again and trying to see where I could have done different. And my poor baby, you know, my poor baby... It's often Charlotte crying or screaming that triggers it. And then she says she feels a surge of energy and she switches personalities. I won't even be like in control of what I'm saying. It's like a weird like recording kicks in and I'll start saying horrible things or like I would unconsciously take out like all the anger and rage from him from dealing with his abuse and like gaslighting and all that. And I would like take it out on her a little bit. Every incident, and they happen multiple times a day, would send Stephanie spiraling into a dark place internally. I used to just go into a total spiral of self-loathing and self-hatred about how could I have said that or how could I have done that. But to see that I'm in the midst of like a, a flashback helps me understand where that rage is coming from, where that intense energy is coming from. If I yell or if I snap at my daughter, 
I, you know, I say, I'm so sorry I yelled at you. You deserve much better than that. And please forgive me. And so I show her a template of like how to apologize when you've messed up. It feels horrible to admit and say, but it's been the hardest relationship I've ever had is this relationship with my daughter. Today, Stephanie has found ways to deal with it. First, she recognizes when she's triggered immediately. I've worked with a therapist very closely and for a long period of time, coming up with tools like breathing in the stress and I breathe out calm. So I kind of like imagine myself being like this sort of transformer that I can breathe in the stress and take in what's happening and then inside me I can transform it and offer out calm. Yoga has also helped her transform. Today, the PTSD episodes have become shorter and less frequent. It helps that Derek's in prison now. It took over a year of seeing him in court again and again, but he's finally in prison. Stephanie likens Derek to a bad tattoo. The tattoos are funny because you can't take them back. Like you can, uh, in this day and age, go get a tattoo removal, which will never completely take it away. Like it'll make it lighter and you can tattoo over the lighter version and stuff. Um, And I've never had a tattoo removed. But to me, it's all like a story. Like you can't take back what you just said to so-and-so. Like you can't take it back. You can't take back that you just like tripped and fell in front of a bunch of people. You can't take back your first boyfriend or like your last boyfriend or any of that, you can't take it back. So tattoos are the same way. It's like all part of a story and you can't, you can't erase it. And so when I add a new tattoo, um, (laughs) it's kind of (laughs) like, well, I hope this one distracts from the other one that I don't like. (laughs) I hope this one is really pretty and people will see that one (laughs) instead of the one I don't like. Stephanie says it's like life. We all mess up. All we can really do about it is focus on the right now. Be kinder now, more loving, more mindful right now. She says her tattoos are like post-it notes, her little reminders to remember what she's here for. She shows me one of her favorite tattoos on the inside of her arm. It says, rather than curse the darkness, bring the light. This is Two Lives. I'm Laurel Morales. Two Lives is produced and hosted by me. Story editing by Camila Kerwin of the Rough Cut Collective. Music from Blue Dot Sessions. Annie Galloway has designed the pot art, website, and beautiful illustrations for each episode at twolives.org. Follow Two Lives on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like it, please consider sharing it with a friend or even on social media. Next time on Two Lives, a Flagstaff man has made it his mission to rescue wild animals until one puts his life in danger. So we're going to try and get it down and get it some medical help, see what we can do for it. Look at that. Nice. Easy peasy. Thank you so very High five. That's next time on Two Lives. <laughs>